In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, I'm going to talk to you today about hell. Not just because it's that time of the year, not because I have some sort of distorted desire to scare you and fill you with fright, but because to warn of a danger that is real is an act of charity. And despite what this synod, which is going on, may be telling us one day very soon, hell does exist. It will always exist. And there are already many souls there. And we all, myself and each and every one of you, always run the risk, if we do not live according to God's commandments, of falling into this dreaded place forever. So we see to that effect our Lord's parable of the king today, a king who prepared a wedding feast for his son. And this parable ends on a somber note. The guest who had no wedding garment, and he was speechless at the king's interrogation. Why? How, rather, how did you get in here without the wedding garment? And then, when he's silent, of course, the king responds, bind his hands and his feet, and cast him out into the exterior darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The exterior darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. The reality and the, and the eternity of hell are challenged from all corners today both within and without the church. Many of you have probably heard from others affirming their non-belief in this doctrine, and these are similar words. I don't believe in hell. After all, how could a loving God send his people to a place of eternal torment? No one's perfect, after all. What they fail to understand is that hell is a necessary consequence of God's holiness and of his love. For God's very nature is holiness itself, and it prevents him from tolerating the slightest evil, the slightest stain in his midst. The book of Revelation makes this clear. There shall not enter into it anything defiled, or that worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the book of, the, of life of the Lamb. Revelations chapter 21, verse 27. God's infinite love for us compels him to respect our free will to its fullest. In a manner of speaking, God's hands are tied. If we choose our own will, not his. No one's compelled to go to hell against their will. Every single soul who is currently there, and again, I remind you, there are already very many souls there, despite this more modern temptation to dare to hope that hell might be empty. Every single soul in hell made a deliberate choice against God at some point in their temporal existence, and their will was fixed in this choice at the moment of death. 
If we would imagine the impossible, an impossible hypothetical situation, God opening up the gates of hell so as to show mercy and deliver the damned souls from their torments, well, the inhabitants there would slam the gates shut again in one violent, clamoring movement. And they would shout out in rage and indignation. Most of you are already familiar with the principal teachings of the church regarding the punishments of hell. You know that the souls there suffer more than anything else from this eternal deprivation of the presence of God and union with him. You know that hell is permeated everywhere by an unquenchable fire, a fire which burns forever and which, unlike an earthly fire, never consumes what is thrown into it. In hell are found creatures that can only be properly described as monsters and which exist for one sole purpose, inflicting eternal and inconceivable physical pain on the souls of the damned and on the fallen rebel angels who preceded them there with Lucifer. Let us try to be, nevertheless, calm, cool-headed, and realistic in considering our attitude towards the dogma of hell. Most of us have heard these descriptions of the punishments of the damned before and many times before. Though we believe in them, though they are true, there can, after a certain point, they can, after a certain point, cease to seize us with the same fear and horror of hell that one would expect to find in a thoroughly Christian conscience. In fact, the physical torments of hell, terrible though they are, are still not the worst punishments to be found there. What tortures the souls of the damned over and above, the re over and above all the other, all the others, is this double contradictory movement in their souls, a movement which at once carries them irresistibly toward, towards God in reason of his being their supreme good, and at the same time violently rips them away from him in reason of their obstinate malice and hatred of him and of his holy will. In effect, these souls have freely chosen evil as their final supreme, defining good. They've obliged themselves to turn away from God, who is the unique source of our beatitude, of our blessedness, and God alone who can satisfy the intense desire which we all have of supreme and eternal, infinite happiness. Their dying in mortal sin, these souls of the damned, means the loss of all good, it means supreme despair on their part, pain without the slightest shadow of hope, of relief. Elevated, pain's elevated to a sovereign degree by the certitude of this word ringing forever in their ears. Forever. They will want for eternity that which they will never be able to possess. They will wish to cease to exist and yet always have to continue existing. 
in intense suffering, in absolute despair and pain. They will experience remorse, but it will proceed only from their hatred of God and their predicament, from the knowledge that the regret of their sinful conduct will remain forever too late. So thus our Lord addressed this admonition, this parable, to the chief priests and the Pharisees, these men who stood before him, living in a state that the theologians call the cecitas mentis, the blindness of the mind, which prevents, a, which befalls a soul who has become so hardened in sin, in grave sin, that the soul no longer realizes it has need of repentance. He addressed these words to them. They who were precisely the ones who had the most need of such a warning, blinded as they were with hatred for the Messiah in their midst. So our Lord's words must be understood, therefore, as an act of great mercy, a warning sign. Look, this might befall you. This will befall you if you don't change your ways. So turn back to God, and he will help you to get back on the right path. So he continues to treat with us today, each and every one of us, in the history of the existence of the universe. God has not created one single human being whom he wished, whom he had a direct positive wish from the very beginning of their conception to cast into eternal damnation, and he never will. He always and without exception desires, as the psalmist puts it, that the sinner be converted and live. He will never damn any soul to eternal punishment unless that soul, dying in deliberate mortal sin, voluntarily robs God of the ability to save it. Hell is a scary doctrine, it's true. But remember that our God is slow to anger, full of love for his creatures, and much more inclined to mercy than justice. So during this month of the Holy Rosary of our Blessed Mother, let us be sure to recite our rosaries each day with an ever greater fervor and ever greater attention to the mysteries which are represented in it, not rushing through it like we always do, imploring our mother's aid in this deadly struggle with the principalities and powers of darkness here below. Those who die in a state of separation from God have no hope. But we're still here. God is still, has still given us, is still giving us this very moment, the opportunity. So from this moment, let us take refuge in the arms of Mary. To Jesus, always through Mary. Mary, who is our sweetness and our hope. And in doing so, we will surely not be lost forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.